Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, here on the 21st of July. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. She is away for today and tomorrow as well, hiking in the wilderness somewhere with her husband, Jim, and delighted she can have that She's time off, off the grid. She is off the grid. This is one of the rare weeks that I have not heard from Carmen via text, and that is a good thing, and I hope she's enjoying her time away. And, of course, so happy to be with all of you as fellow followers of Jesus and Doing our best to struggle and, and, and keep putting one step in front of the other, taking delight and joy and wonder and sorrow and pain and all of what is part of his beautiful kingdom as the eternal king. It's a great way to wake up with all of you as fellow believers. And, you know, Paul, when I was thinking about our first guest this morning, Daryl Crouch is going to come into the program in just a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about gun violence, and that's a, that's a hard way to start a morning, especially for somebody like mm-hmm. me, who I think is fairly optimistic by nature, sort of hopeful. I, I don't believe in spirit animals. If I did, I, it would be an otter. I've always loved. <laughs> I've always loved the otter. Yeah, you know, you they, would be an otter. They, yeah, they, they, they don't seem terribly intelligent, but they love to play, and, and I feel like that that would be the, a kinship there. And uh, and but it's difficult to start then with with a topic that I think many of us are paying attention to around our country because there does seem to be a rise in gun violence. And, and I'm somebody who does watch some news. It drives me a little bit nuts when I watch Fox News. And, and you would think that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are riding at any given moment. You watch CNN and you think we're heading to this cultural utopia. The irony of that is if you watch these same programs a year ago, that whole thing was flipped yeah. entirely, right? And so I try to be fair-minded about these things and consume different versions of research besides just watching news. And, and as fair-minded as I can be, and I think you are seeing some similar things, and I'm sure many of our our, our, our family here at Faith Radio is doing the same thing, is that it seems like the violence is extending into areas that typically don't have the level of violence that they had and, and that the frequency of the violence, it, it's backed up by the statistics, it's backed up by the anecdotes, uh, and, and it's backed up by how many cities in which it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is something that is beginning to impact us more and more. And, and Daryl Crouch coming in, we're going to talk about it in just a couple of minutes about how do we start having a road out of it. Well, you said gun violence, and actually I, I, looking at the news headlines, I spend a lot of time doing that unfortunately. And it's not just gun violence. I mean, you can talk about the increase of crime in general, just general violence and just an angsty nature to things right now. Uh, You would think people would be giddy, happy getting out of the pandemic. And well, there is some of that. There there still is a lot of pent up something happening and people are lashing out. Yeah. And I think the question that we're going to have in front of us for these next maybe 15, 20 minutes or so with Daryl is, are there actually things that we as, as believers can do to, to start helping stem the violence. I think some of us want to just sort of sit back, maybe wait for a political regime change, assuming that's going to fix the issues. Or Some of these issues are so systemic and so longstanding that I think unless we as Christians start getting involved in some ways, it's going to be tough to find a resolution. And Daryl Crouch is exactly the right person to talk to about this. He's the executive 
director for Everyone's Wilson. He brings a whole set of ministries together to minister to the community, and we're going to get his take on how we, as fellow believers, can do something similar, regardless of what city in which we live, wherever we find ourselves. We all have common principles in which we can help intercede in these areas. So stay with us here on Mornings with Carmen. Daryl Crouch is up next. Love the entry music, Daryl. Great to have you on the program. Great to hear your voice again. Thanks for joining us. And I know what uh, seems like just an entirely simple topic, right? To resolve, we should be able to sort this whole thing out in just a few minutes. Well, it, it really is great to be with you. And it is a tough topic, but uh, there is hope. And the fact that we're talking about it today means that a lot of people care about this issue and care about their neighbors. And so uh, I'm I'm happy to be with you. Yeah, me too, Daryl. And it said in the opener that it sure seems like if you sort of, even if you get yourself out of the the alarmist headlines that tend to happen with some of our major news organizations and and talking heads, that I think a fair-minded individual can see from the statistics and from the anecdotes that there has been a shift, that that the violence has been on the increase and happening in areas where it often doesn't. Even sometimes the extremity of the violence, the viciousness of the violence has seems to be on the increase as well. You're on the front lines working in communities with different ministries and organizations. Are, are you seeing some things like this on the ground level as well? We really are. We're in a suburban area, but we, we continue to see uptick in violence. We see an uptick in um, uh, drug addiction and opioid overdose or drug overdoses, whatever it may be. And and um, I, I think what I don't I don't know that I've come up with this phrase, but I, I was driving in today thinking that we, we really just have have an epidemic of despair and there's an uptick in despair. Uh, brokenness is weighing down on us and maybe a, a pandemic didn't create it, but revealed the extent of our brokenness and the um, the the work that we have to do ahead of us. I, I do think, and I was in a meeting yesterday with community leaders, uh, juvenile uh, judge, and um, uh, family resource counselors at the schools, and uh, we were discussing um, mentorship. and And one one of the comments that was made was that we often, most of us, in the work that we do, are dealing with people who are reacting to uh, trouble or brokenness. There's been a problem before we ever see them. There's been a, an incident before we ever they ever get to us. And so we're simply reacting to what's already happened. And so I really, the, the challenge for all of us is to, is to say, okay, the, the Lord has told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The great commandment is more than sentimental. It is transformational. And so uh, can we step into this space uh, with people um, before um, there's uh, issues to deal with. And so it's easy to react. It's easy to wag our finger. It's easy to shake our heads and and um, and despair over the headlines. And, and certainly there's grieving that's um, needed. But um, the, the question I have, have you have you mentored a third grader? Have you engaged in a community meeting where you're addressing these issues? And so I really think that's that's the call that we have as believers to step into the space where our neighbors uh, live. Yeah, I think uh, what you just said there, Daryl, I want to, to mine in that a little bit more deeply about 
where we can invest and how we can invest to begin to stem the tide. Certainly, we are not going to be able to stem the tide overnight. But when you talk about it being an epidemic of despair, the one thing that marks us as believers are among the things that mark us as believers. And, and, and even one of the three things that will remain right at the end is hope. There's faith, hope and love. And, and hope is that central characteristic of our faith that in the midst, it, it can greet us in the midst of despair. And, and we're ambassadors of that hope. So as we begin to intersect our lives uh, with people who are hurting uh, you talk about being with younger people and some of the next generation. We're not giving up ho- hope on people that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, but it does mean that if we're talking about structural change, it needs to start as early as possible. As early as possible. And we are the people of good news. And Peter, I think that's exactly right. We we can't simply ping off of the news headlines and the negativity that's uh, ravaging and keeps social media propped up. We we really have to be a people who are oriented around the gospel and uh, speak hope into the lives of, of these kids and their families. Uh, many of the parents of these kids grew up in a generation of brokenness. They didn't have parents uh, who were healthy. They didn't have an environment that was healthy. And so we can't change people. We, we can simply create an environment for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. But if we're never with them, uh, that this is the I think this is the real challenge of the modern church today that we have the metrics of how many people are coming to our building and how many people are going through our programs and those are very important metrics Peter but uh, there's other m- metrics in terms of how many of my people how many hours are my people with people who have never even thought about my church uh, how many hours and how much investment am I making in the lives of second graders and third graders and fourth graders and their families uh, outside of any kind of church programming necessarily. But am I engaged in my community in a way that if somebody said, hey, that guy really loves his neighbor, um, that they would there would be evidence for that. And um, and so I think that's that's not that doesn't get us on Instagram quite as quickly or uh, doesn't have, get us many likes on Facebook as we, um, you know, uh, go on about how bad things are. Uh, everybody agrees that things are difficult, but the the question is, am I investing myself, my time, my personal life, that a time that I'll never get back, am I spending and being spent for the gospel for the sake, you know, on, on behalf of my neighbors? I think it's really an important point you just made there, Daryl, in terms of the, the community of faith. When you read the scriptures, you see uh, these sort of phrases, whom shall I send? Or you see Jesus go therefore, and there's always the sending outward, right? And I think on some levels, we've bought into a belief that church is sort of this destination model, that what happens in our faith is when we only go to church on Sunday, that church is just supposed to be a place of Sabbath equipping, a place of rest and reorientation so that we can constantly then go, right? I mean, it's it, we should yeah. be going all throughout the week. And and that can seem daunting, but I think anybody who, who is a believer that is hearing what you and I are talking about this morning can just simply ask God, so what step could I take? And, and just quickly, I know when my wife and I started working in the in, in some difficult arenas in Minneapolis, it was terribly unfamiliar and awfully awkward, but she began teaching in a first grade classroom and you get to know the people and you get to know the city and you get to know the environment and you you see that some of what we hear on the news is true, but so we're just missing so much yeah. of, the, of the beautiful tapestry of the situation and people who authentically care in these situations. Anybody can go, right, Daryl? Mm, absolutely. And that's such a good word, Peter. I, there is so much good going on in the community. There are so many people who care about their neighbors, um, but a lot of us are isolated from that. 
uh, for one reason or, or another. And so I, I think uh, to to say, listen, where where is God already working, and how how can I join there? There are teachers, for example, like your wife, who's teaching first graders and second graders, who's taking their own money, spending it on decorations and supplies, and investing. There are church volunteers who are. Uh, taking food to families without anybody knowing. There's a lot of things happening in our communities that we can be a part of. And um, so, yeah, I think I think for us to be that kind of, of beacon of, of hope and to be involved. You know, Peter, I was talking to a friend yesterday or the day before, and none of the—I don't know of any of the heroes of the faith who uh, were known for their— faithful church attendance. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't have been faithful in their church. I'm just saying we know them because they built a wall around a city. His name was Nehemiah. We we know him because he finally got to Nineveh, uh, Jonah. We, we, know, we know them because they planted churches and uh, were, market, were engaged in the marketplace, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we the the heroes of our faith, uh, Moses and so Daniel, uh, so many of the heroes of our faith. We don't they weren't marked. They they're not our heroes because they attended church on Sunday. Although I think they they would have been faithful churchmen and churchwomen. But um, we know them because of how they leverage their influence in the public square for the glory of God. And so I, I think that's the kind of people we want to raise up. And that's the kind of people who will make a difference in these pockets of darkness that we uh, see so prevalent coming across the headlines. No, that's a great word, Daryl. I love it. Uh, let's step away for just a minute. When we come back, let's keep getting into this a little bit more. And as we maybe are being prompted to go and, and to try to figure out places to go, just talk about, so how do you get over some of the unfamiliarity? How do you get over some of the mm-hmm. uncertainty? Because life is can be one big uh, fearful variable if you decide to say yes to that going and how can we walk through that together, just not as individuals, but with other organizations like you're currently doing. Stay with us. We've got Daryl Crouch leading off on Mornings Without Carmen here on the 21st of July. Welcome back to the show. We're chatting with Daryl Crouch this morning. He joins us regularly on Mornings with Carmen. He's the executive director for Everyone's Wilson. It's a ministry that brings together ministries and other community organizations for the good of a community, for the good of the city. And Daryl, before the break, we were talking a little bit again about shifting our mindset or broadening our mindset, as as you might say, to um, to think about us as believers going out in the world, that church is simply a place where the, where the saints are being equipped for ministry. And, and so that equipping needs to happen so that we can go. But it, it can be a fearful thing to say yes to that. I know for me, when I first started um, going into communities with which I was wholly unfamiliar, the stores looked different, the signs looked different, the people looked different. Um, I felt very disoriented um, and not at all at home and very fearful as a result of it. And, and I think that can happen anytime you're in unfamiliar territory. So kind of maybe talk us through a little bit about how someone can get over the fears of the unknown to start investing in these ways. That's a great question, Peter. And, and I appreciate that. And I don't want to be overly simplistic about it because it is, it can be a little daunting because we look around and there's so many challenges and we're not really exactly sure where to start. But But I would say that the easiest thing to do or the and maybe the most effective thing is to have a conversation, to meet someone who is serving in this in this space, whether it's in the schools or in the police department or uh, in public service of some kind, in a in a nonprofit who's been serving in that area, maybe of poverty 
in a poverty initiative for a long time, sit down with them and ask questions. Uh, many times we will read the news or read the headlines or hear a wonderful sermon from our pastor, and we'll get pretty excited and motivated to make a difference in the world. And we go in thinking that we that we know what we're doing. And and we really don't unless we ask a lot of questions. And so I think one of the, the greatest barriers to community impact is a lack of trust. And trust is only built when we have a conversation and we ask good questions and we uh, listen and we say, you know, listen, I'm coming in the room, not with my solutions or, or I'm not the, you know, I'm not, I'm not the savior in any kind of way, but how can I serve you? How can I serve you? And what does that look like? How could one person or how could one church serve you? I know in our story, our local church, we went to our city manager and we asked, how can we serve you? We don't have a lot of money, but we, we have some, some money set aside that we would love to bless our city. How would you say we could do that? And so we were able to provide a, um, a resource to our, our police department that they needed, a, a piece for their tool belt, their equipment belt that they would use uh, on their, with their, you know, on, on duty and uh, that they had not received yet. And so we purchased enough of those for every police officer and auxiliary officer and future officer, I think, in the department. And so um, that was, that opened the door to a relationship with the city manager and to the mayor and to other folks, uh, obviously the police chief and others who are serving in that space already. And so uh, while it can be daunting, I think just having a conversation with someone who's already serving in that space, recognizing that they may not be hitting on all cylinders and performing at the level you'd hope they would be, but uh, they are giving themselves to this every day. And so uh, if we can go in as the student, as the learner, and as the one who's willing to serve, uh, that that goes a long way, Peter. It does, Daryl, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said, just even using words like we and those already serving. I'm curious if somebody was uh, hearing what you and I are talking about this morning thinking, I really do want to start to invest and engage, and I'm going to start praying about it, but sometimes it's tough to be the lone ranger and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, how, do you, how do you vet out maybe places to join, ministries with which to engage, people to to talk with, to say, how can I help too? Because I think you and I both know, and I'm sure many of the people with us this morning, fellow believers, know that uh, there's some ministries that you do want to say yes to and some you may want to shy away from. So are there some principles, tips that you can give us to in terms of how to vet organizations? Well, I, th- I think you, you ask where where is their passion and what is their track record? And do they have a track record of doing what they say that that they're doing. And so, for example, a a ministry to homeless uh, residents or the unhoused, um, is is that, are they, are they working to, to turn the the tide systemically to help educate and equip those who are, are in the cycle of poverty? Or are they simply providing a roof over the head every night, which is needed if you need a roof over your head. But what's their mission uh, long term? What's the systemic change that they are uh, seeking to achieve? And do they have a track record of moving in that direction? So I, I think that's that's helpful. I think one thing that's really Im- important is that we ask ourselves, what's the Lord doing in our lives? And then let me focus on that. A lot of us have great ideas and we run around from one thing to the other with big dreams. And um, I think, you know, big dreams are wonderful, 
but at some point today, in the hours I have today, I have to focus. I have to decide. And that means I say no to just about everything else. So I think for a church or for a small group or for an individual a believer to be able to say, listen, I can't do everything, but I can do this. And so I'm going to find an organization. I'm going to find a people, and that could be the school. That could be um, a police department. That could be a whole host of, of opportunities in your community. But um, I'm going to focus, and I'm going to give myself a year to do this, and then we'll, we'll reevaluate. But I'm not going to do this this month and something else next month and whatever the flavor of the day is. Um, nonprofits and other community leaders um, are slow to trust us. Um, and so it's going to take, and there's reasons for that because people make promises they don't keep. Mm. So I think people uh, have to be patient with those that they're trying to help and say, I'm going to give a year to this. I'm going to do what it takes to build the trust. And then we'll evaluate after that. But, um, and then show a lot of grace, show a lot of grace to yourself, show a lot of grace to the people you're trying to help, because this is not a new problem. It may be new to you, but, um, this is a, not a new problem. You're walking into something that's been going on for a long time. So just show a lot of grace. Mm, Daryl, it's just such great stuff this morning. Thanks for taking us into that. Anybody really can step into this and brought a lot of hope this morning, but it is going to require effort as well. It's going to require people that intentionally will start praying, wondering where they can intersect uh, in the midst of all of this darkness as the light shiners that we are. So Daryl, have a great rest of the morning. Thanks for the wisdom you shared this morning. Uh, you're doing great. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll take a short break here and talk a little bit about some news items that have come up over the last 24 hours or so, and then preview what's coming up in the second half of this hour on Mornings Without Carmen. Sure love that time with Daryl Crouch. If you missed that, it's a great way to start the day on a difficult topic. And I think, Paul, there's a website people can go to, too, if they're wanting to put one step in front of the other and wonder about how they can get involved. Is it City Gospels? Yeah, citygospelmovements.org. Citygospelmovements.org. Uh, loosely speaking, I mean, what everyone's Wilson in, that's a kind of a community, but City Gospel Movement, where you have churches, organizations, ministries working together yeah. to... Spread the gospel as well as apply God's grace into that community. And uh, it's Andrew Palau who put that together. There's lots of city gospel movements, like here in the Twin Cities where I'm at. There's Transform Minnesota. There's other ones throughout the United States. So if you are looking, well, is there anybody doing anything in my neighborhood? Check that, that yeah, website. Citygospelmovement.org. Citygospelmovements.org. Right. And, of course, quickly, if you're hearing the music right now and you're part of our friends in Wisconsin, the neighboring state where we are located right now, we are celebrating the NBA title of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I have to say, as an NBA rube who has covered the NBA for, <laughs> for a dozen years as a media member and gotten to know some of the players and organizations, thrilled on behalf of the Bucks because your superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo stayed home and wanted to win one for the small city of Milwaukee as opposed to chasing the stars of the, of the large town. And so we're really happy for all of you and celebrating the Bucks victory. I know somebody is texting in yesterday about that as well. And so fun. Well, up next, we've got Gary Stratton joining us. And as I said earlier, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with Mr. Stratton about a book that he has written. So stay with us. Uh, more to come with Gary Stratton up next. Were your parents strict? I grew up in a military style home, but I don't recommend it for most families today. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When moms and dads are strict and in control, many kids are well-behaved, yet feel a deep-seated contempt for their parents. If provoked through little things like isolation, authoritarian discipline, and over-the-top sternness, 
kids will act out. I've seen it so many times. A parent imposes limitations, maybe dad is proving how much he's in control, then the son eventually blows up just to show he's in control. If you become a die-hard authoritarian, you could be in the danger zone. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. music always puts a spring in my step when I hear it. It also brings a bit of delight to my heart because I know that means we're going to be joined by Gary Stratton, who is the Dean of the School of Arts and Sciences at Johnson University, works in cultural formation and leadership as well, has done so much. Although, Gary, this morning I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you, and it's not even like a little metatarsal bone. This is like a femur. This, this is, I'm not sure if that's the biggest bone in the body. My anatomy is limited, but I'm guessing that's the biggest one. So I've got a femur to pick with you, but good morning first. Good morning. How are you, Peter? Well, I, I'm doing well, except that, you know, in our longstanding friendship that you and I have had, and you recruited me to an institution at one point to teach Christian ministries, and then you unceremoniously dumped me to go to the glamour of Hollywood at that point. We survived that. We've survived much over these 2019 years, Gary, but I had no idea that you were writing a book until yesterday. Well, um, that's not completely true, because I think I've mentioned it in a couple of radio broadcasts <laughs> oh, that it no. was in, in process. But, I mean, it's kind of official now. So, I mean, I'm coming off sabbatical. I've got a publisher's contract sitting here in front of me. I haven't decided if I'm going to sign with this publisher or not. But, yeah, so it's official. Yeah, we're writing a book. Now, we've been using it for our first-year students, uh, uh, both transfers and freshmen, for the last couple of years, like a version of it. So it's been field-tested a bit. But, yeah. Oh, I love it. And I, <laughs> getting aside, I, I often have non-defensible positions like that. I'm sure you did tell me. And it was so delightful <laughs> to see the chapters that you sent uh, as well. And, and I think it's just going to be a really important take because you've worked so long in areas of discipleship and are somebody— that would have, I think, a biblical view of discipleship, that salvation is not just something that we wait for when we die, that it it intersects with us in a formational kind of way, that salvation uh, frees us increasingly from the power of sin and death to be able to make new choices in our life. But it's not easy. And and it seems like the heart of that is surrender, and so much of that is what's happening in this book. So give us a brief overview, and then we can kind of mine into some of the topics as well. Well, you want to talk about the chapter I sent you or talk about the book as a whole? Let's talk about the book as a whole at first, because then the chapter will have some context there, too, because that chapter on surrender is profound, Gary. Oh, wow. Thank you. (laughs) Well, um, this, in some ways, the book started uh, decades ago. I had just come through a really remarkable time of spiritual awakening among high school students in California, where Sue and I had just watched God move incredibly, and yet just trying to, just confused about it seemed like there didn't be a great, wasn't a great relationship between the the depth of an experience a student was having and their actual long-term fruitfulness. Um, and I just happened to then come under the tutelage of uh, Mike Wilkins, who's probably the world's leading expert on what uh, disciple, the Greek word means in the New Testament. And uh, it just kind of rocked me. And I've been thinking and plotting on these things my whole life. I've preached on it probably seven or eight times and taught classes on it. Uh, but uh, it, when it came time to write a curriculum for our first-year students, uh, one of my former students who'd heard me preach on this actually years ago said, this is what changed my life as a student. This is what we're going to do. And so he's the one that really pushed me to get these thoughts down on paper. 
Yeah, I think it's in, in terms of that word disciple for the for all of our faith family here. But how would you define that? What is that word in the New Testament? And then we can start talking about what characterizes a life of discipleship. Well, here's what I think we often miss: that the first part of the definition of a disciple is a is a student in the College of Jesus. I mean, that's I mean, that. you've got to make a commitment to become a student in the College of Jesus. Jesus is your teacher before anything else, and then. A, a disciple is somebody is a student who keeps going on these kind of two interconnected journeys. Um, one of them I call the journey of ascent into a higher and higher commitment to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is this journey of descent into a deeper and deeper experience of the intimate, powerful, life-giving love of God that gradually transforms us into someone who's who's like our teacher. I mean, never perfectly like our teacher becomes like it. But both those things are happening at the same time. And that's what I had never really seen before, that you had to call people to a deeper and deeper commitment. And you also had to lead them into a deeper, deeper encounter with Christ. And it was the those two things coming together that marks genuine discipleship. I love that, Gary, the idea of being a student in the College of Jesus. And, and the invitation really there is that we don't just only try to act like Jesus from the outside, that we actually are becoming like Jesus on the inside, that our desires that we might have, uh, that our lesser desires begin to shift, as you've described in this chapter on surrender now, uh, exchanging our lesser desires for divine love to become actually like Jesus is is an inside-out move, not not a behavior, rote obedience, responsibility kind of move. It really is a transformative kind of move. And in the heart of that, Gary, I, I know a lot of disciples, <clears throat> and, and myself included, that maybe you're like, I really do want to be a student in the College of Jesus. And my first move then is I'm going to make commitments and I'm going to try harder and I'm going to get up and I'm going to make a resolution or I'm going to get in an accountability group. And, and all of those things I think are important, but dare I say that they might be a bit misguided because really the first move of the disciple, and this is what you're trying to invite us into, is actually not a life of trying harder. It's a life of giving it all up. It's a life of surrender. Yeah, I mean, what happens, and this is true in Jesus' ministry, it's true today, people start following Jesus for lots of reasons. They desire something from him. Um, and he loves, I mean, he has no problem with that, with people, if they just want healing, if they just want him to be the, to kick the Romans out of, of Israel, I mean, <laughs> the political, I mean, it doesn't matter why you start following, but eventually, uh, as you come under his instruction of what his kingdom is like, he, he starts to challenge those initial desires, say, wait a minute, is that your desire using me as a resource to get what you want? Or is your desire really for me uh, to be in relationship with me and with my father and encounter our love? And that's where the surrender takes place. It's just the, this exchange of our, not necessarily always bad, but lesser desires for starting to follow Jesus with the only reason why people continue they follow Jesus because they believe and have come to know him as the Messiah, the Holy One of God. Yeah, it's such an important point. I think even in that very famous passage of Scripture, we see that word surrender. It might not be obvious right away, but it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son to whoever believes. And and I think, Gary, we make the mistake, uh, understandably so, that the strength of my belief related to whether this story about Jesus is true is, is nice. what that right. passage is about. But within the Greek language, that word believe is actually an ongoing action. And it's an action in which we're consistently and daily bending our knee, yielding again, saying, I will surrender yet again today. To believe is actually to yield and to give one's life as opposed to, gosh, I really hope that I don't have any doubt in this thing. Right, right. And it's and it's the only way to make sense of these incredible uh, things that Jesus said about the cost of discipleship. You know, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. 
whoever wants to save their life will lose it, whoever surrenders, surrenders their life for me and for the gospel of the kingdom will save it. And then he uses the exchange language. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? There's this uh, deep thing that's happening within us where we're moving, and this is the language of then John 6, for not just believing, but believing and knowing. Uh, when all the other disciples were leaving, that's what Peter said, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and we believe and have come to know, come to experience you as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Mm, I love it, Gary. Let's step away for just a minute because it's a great time to, to sort of recalibrate and uh, talk a little bit then about the cost of discipleship that you referenced, the, the, the doubt that we often have, and again, understandably so, and how we walk in those sorts of things. And especially as a person who has been in Hollywood, and I'm sure you've watched a, a bit of the series The Chosen, I think there's this really compelling scene in episode seven or eight or so of season one in which Nicodemus decides as he's sort of collapsing against the wall to not follow Jesus into the uh, into the unknown. He, he doesn't fully surrender, and Jesus sort of just bemoans and, and, and in great grief says, oh, you were so close, right, at that. And so mm. we'd love to get your take on all of that here next when we come back in just a couple minutes. So many versions of that song for you, Dr. Gary Stratton, Dean of School <laughs> Arts and Sciences at Johnson University, talking a bit about your book that you're releasing coming up soon. But uh, Paul certainly does have the music queued up for you. I love that. I love that song. And I love the way Paul finds different versions. <laughs> he, he really does. Well, we'd love to revisit some of what we were talking about just before the break a little bit. And that's this idea of counting the cost of discipleship. And you said something pretty compelling early on in our interview, the idea that, that we do tend to start following Jesus for many reasons. And those reasons uh, are not wrong, bad, and, and, um, and, and God has so much grace for these reasons. But so often it's about what can you do for me? I'll say yes to following you based on what happens with me, but uh, Jesus's consistent invitation is that actually it's probably time to count the cost, whether it's right at the beginning or sometime along the way, if you want to keep taking this journey, now it's the journey of surrender. It's counting the cost. Are you willing to leave it behind? And again, in watching this uh, this uh, series, The Chosen, that's chronicling the life of the disciples and Jesus as well, there really is this compelling moment where Nicodemus uh, has this incredible interchange with Jesus. He can see that he is the Messiah. And yet as they're leaving the town of Capernaum to start moving through the countryside of Israel, he stays behind. He kind of collapses against the volunteers. He can't quite take that final step. Um, but that is really, if you want to move more deeply into being a part of a student in the college of Jesus, as it were, you, you have to take that step somewhere along the way. Yeah, but I, you know, I want to say too, what's beautiful about Nicodemus is a great example of the principle I'm trying to get across in this chapter we read together, which is that uh, falling is not necessarily failing. Right. As long as we eventually rise and continue. So Nicodemus did eventually uh, become engaged with Jesus, granted at the very end of his life, uh, but he was he was there with the body of Jesus. So, right. Um, and, you know, Peter's a great example of this. I mean, we think of, you know, you know, oh, Peter's faith failed. But, I mean, on the night before he was betrayed, I mean, Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Mm. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So even his denying of Jesus was not a it, though it was a falling, okay, it was. It was right. It was not his faith actually failing. And Jesus knew that Peter would be sifted. He knew that Peter would fall. 
but he knew Peter was going to fall back. He was going to turn back, and he and he was going to go through this sifting process, not to ruin his faith, but to actually refine it and purify it and prove it genuine. Um, and that is the way most of us grow. It's we are often like Peter's and Nicodemus. The first time the cost of discipleship comes to us, we're like, "No way, Jose! <laughs> <laughs> I am not going up that mountain." Well, and, and yeah, understandably so, I think. But at the same time, the invitation you're suggesting here, Gary, is that when we do count that cost, it, it's not then signing up for this life of, of curmudgeon life where not, there's no joy or whatever. You're, you're among the most joyful people that I know, and I know you've counted the cost because I think you, like many of the people that are with us this morning, uh, know what it is like to fail miserably. Uh, I know that, that that's part of my journey as well. And yet you're met by amazing grace, right? How sweet the sound. Where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. And so for the people willing to count that cost, they meet a Savior unlike anything that they were leaving behind. No, it's absolutely true. And I think somehow we've lost this like, this little parable that I think is so key in Matthew 13. You know, God's kingdom's like this explorer who stumbles upon this kind of long forgotten treasure that's been buried in a field somewhere. And then he, it, I love this, this is then with joy, he goes and sells everything he has mm. to buy that field. But it's once we see the incredible love of Jesus, we see who he truly is, which is a work of grace. We can put ourselves in a position to see it, but it's a work of grace that God does. Then it to take that next step is often the most natural thing in the world, but it's it's almost often like climbing a mountain, like one step at a time that we need to see Jesus more clearly in order to take a greater step of commitment. And that greater step of commitment enables us to see Jesus more clearly, which enables us then to take another step of commitment. That most people are like Peter's. They're this kind of back and forth, up and down, all around, going forward thing, as opposed to this you know, sense of Paul of this one time, boom, blinding vision, and you're, you're a perfect Christian, which I'm not sure he was at that point, but we don't get much more of the story. Uh, but it's really much more of a long and costly journey. Mm. Talking with Dr. Gary Stratton this morning about a forthcoming book he'll be releasing uh, in the not-too-distant future, and we're talking about surrender being the heart of the Christian journey, not just the beginning of it, but the heart of it all along the way. And Gary, I'm sure that you have wrestled with doubt at times in your life. I know I have. I know many of our, our people that are with us this morning have, I'm sure, uh, wrestled with doubt as well. And doubt is not necessarily a bad thing or something to be avoided. It's a very real thing. I think the question is, is what do we do with our doubt, right? And And the invitation is to not try to understand better sometimes, but to even trust more deeply. No, I agree. You know, one of the things we never read the full context of the Great Commission. We tend to talk about the Great Commission a lot, but before he issues this Great Commission that all authority in heaven has been given to me, go and make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey everything I've taught you. It says, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Mm. But the, Jesus comes to a community of, of worship and doubt, that all of us are this this crazy <laughs> mixture of parts of our life where we're worshiping Jesus with everything we are, and parts of our life where we're just full of doubt. And he knows that, and he's okay with that, as long as, and it doesn't even matter if we goof up for a while, as long as we continue to repent and move forward and continue on the climb with him. Yeah, I, that is such a compelling passage, right? I mean, they're standing there with the risen Jesus, and <laughs> some of them are still doubting, oh, I can find myself uh, in that place for sure. And I'm curious what you would say, too, just as then we take these steps 
of discipleship in terms of surrender, in terms of yielding, in terms of not just trying to get up and try harder and do all of that, but to keep yielding, we, we over time, our, our actual desires begin to change a bit. And that was yes. part of the point of the chapter that you have here is that the, the things that we authentically desire, and again, understandably so, on so many levels, they often are very much lesser desires or, or things that we need to stop desiring. And, and we begin to shift into this place of love. Tell us a little bit what, what happens when we walk out this ongoing life of surrender. Well, and Jesus doesn't necessarily not want to grant our desires. I mean, Proverbs tells us that if we delight ourselves in him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. The problem is, is those desires start competing with him. <laughs> right. Uh, so he's after us loving him only besides all else. But as soon as that surrender is made, then he's in a position where where you can do things. I mean, for me, I mean, I needed to be willing uh, to give up uh, some things in my life that I, you know, just thought I was going to die over. It was a, a very close relationship. Um, uh, and I'm glad I did because I ended up eventually with Sue, but I mean, it was just a heart crushing thing because we were called in two very different directions. She was called to medical missions. I was called to mi- student ministry in the U S something had to give. And both of us independently came to the same conclusion that to follow Jesus, to love the other person, we had to let him go. It was horrific because we mm. really, truly loved one another. And yet out of that place of choosing to love him and to love one another more than we loved ourselves, our own happiness, uh, was birthed these uh, two tremendous ministries and two wonderful marriages, but not to not to one another. And I, it, so Jesus wants to give us things. He just does not want uh, them to compete with us. I think that's why he knows just what to put his finger on. He didn't ask everybody to do what the rich young ruler did. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You know, but for that guy, he knew this love for your money is going to be what's going to keep you from following me. So count the cost right mm-hmm. now. Uh, Gary, he, dropped, he didn't do it. So, yeah, no. And I love that admonition, right? It's different. The, the invitation is the same for all of us to surrender. The invitation of how to do that is going to be different to the individual. I just so appreciate this work and, and just the idea of the book coming out. Do you have a sense of when it's going to come out? Uh, well, it's officially scheduled to come out uh, beginning in 2023. So. Great. Love it. Well, we'll definitely revisit it all along the way because it's great stuff. Thanks for joining us, Gary. I know you're heading on vacation tomorrow. Have a great vacation away, and we'll look forward to catching up soon. Thanks so much, Peter. Take Love a short it. Yeah, we'll take a short break, wrap up this hour, and preview what's coming up with Bill English on Hour 2 here on Mornings Without Carmen. Sure love talking with Gary Stratton, a person who knows the cost of discipleship, knows what it means to surrender. I hope that feels like an invitation again as as well to you today that uh, this is a hopeful journey in which I find ourselves. We do count the cost, of course, but that cost that we count as we begin to release our hands and release the grip of our fingers, those desires that we think are so important often change and become part of the eternal desires of the kingdom. And that's where we find true freedom, true joy, and true hope. That is my prayer for you as well this morning. Well, that'll wrap up Hour 1. Let's uh, start Hour 2 off next here on Mornings with Our Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.